My Other Face by Robert P. Fitton. Episode 7. No one believes what Mater saw with her own eyes. When my love swears she is made of the truth, I do believe her, though I know she lies. William Shakespeare, Sonnet 138. Marta had taken the Valium and was getting groggy as she lay on Weissman's sofa. Even without the drug, she probably would have drifted out because of exhaustion. Weissman had his downstairs neighbor with Marta just in case she tried anything rash. He had gone below onto the street to wait for Hastings. The blue and white cruiser slowly pulled up from the square and stopped right along the church wall. Hastings, a very tall man, moved his lanky body from the cruiser. He had rough features and greased-back black hair. When he saw Weissman, he smiled. Hey, Byrne, how you doing, buddy? He asked as he looked around the road. What the hell happened out here? She said she came downstairs. She saw the car all shot up with her husband inside. He had been wounded very badly, and he died right in front of her. She ran around the cellar where I was getting some wood for the uh, fireplace. I met her out front. There was no Jamie, no car, no nothing. Why, why did you go to meet her out front? Asked Hastings as he went back to the cruiser and turned on the spotlight to the base of the church wall. Oh, well, the bulkhead was locked. I couldn't get out. Yeah? He asked as he came back toward Weissman. What the hell are they doing back here at all, Byrne? I heard from a number of people that she's a little uh, nutso. Well, uh, she's seeing a psychologist. Ah, so she's been seeing things, has she, huh? Asked Hastings as he pointed his index finger into Weissman's chest. What have you got to say to that, my friend, Byrne? What do you want me to say, Dan? This wasn't like her other, well, she calls them flashes. It was protracted and it wasn't in black and white. Oh, black and white, yellow, brown, said Hastings as he put his arm around the smaller Weissman. Bernie boy, you got one sick puppy in there. Don't give me that shit, Dan, he said as he broke away from Hastings' grip. I tell you, she saw it. And I tell you, that Pendleton kid will be back here real soon. And you'll be the laughing stock of the town. I know I'm not going to be. What are you saying, Dan? asked the irritated Weissman. You're not going to do anything? You got it, buddy. You show me the car or the kid's body and I'll come out. Anytime, night or day. If you're going to start calling me for tall stories, then forget it. Good night, Bernie, he said as he got back on the cruiser. He started up the engine and swung around the tiny street. As he passed Weissman, he waved and headed back toward the center of town. Weissman couldn't believe the arrogance of the man. Not only that, but the fact that Hastings could make such a snap judgment on the whole matter was ridiculous. He hadn't even given Marta the benefit of the doubt, nor did he interview any of the neighbors. The least he could have done, thought Weissman, was to put out a make on Jamie's car. As he turned to go back inside the house, he heard a noise to his right in the moonlit cemetery and the tall figure of a man dressed in dark clothes came through the wrought iron gates. The town's minister approached. Hey, Nat, Nat, you frightened me coming out of the cemetery like that. Oh, I just cut through from the church. Mrs. Hastings just called me and said there was trouble outside the church by your apartment. 
Weissman studied the preacher's prodigious black sideburns and, and glass-like green eyes. Although Weissman was an atheist, he held a genuine respect for the reverend's work in the town, and usually for his objective opinion. Yeah, Marta Dupont, uh, Marta Pendleton, and her husband. They came back to town today. She claims she saw Jamie murdered. Right here. You didn't see anything strange out here, did you, Nat? No, Bernie, I didn't. You know, the officers are behind all those granite stones. You could drop a bomb out there and not go right on working. Yeah, right, right. Uh, there were no other witnesses to all this, although I'm going to follow that up. What did Dan say? asked the Reverend. <laughs> That's just it. Dan isn't asking any questions. He's acting like a damned idiot. Claims it was all a manifestation of Mata's mind. Some manifestation, he smiled. Yeah, I'll say. Mata has some problems, but you just don't imagine things like this. And where is Jamie anyways? He was supposed to have been back here three hours ago. Where was he going? Ha ha ha. You ask more questions than Hastings, Nat. We ought to put you on as chief. At least we'll get some things done. Bernie, there's a man in Concord that I know, a Lieutenant Nichols. Many years ago, Hastings slugged this man in a drunken rage. I know he's been after Hastings since that time. Now, whenever I need something done, and Dan is a little, shall we say, slow, I just mentioned that I know a certain Lieutenant Nichols. Ah, oh, you're very devious, Reverend. Not entirely. I do know him through Reverend Thomas and Concord, but I've never had to call on him. Well, that's nice to know, Reverend, said Weissman as the Reverend's other question popped back into his mind. To answer your question, nobody knows just where Jamie was going. He wouldn't tell us, which makes this thing all the worse. If he doesn't come back here pretty soon, I'm going to really start to get worried. Well, it's only been a few hours, Bernie. I think he could return safe and sound, right? Yeah, I guess. I'd like to see Martyr if I could. Maybe I can talk to her and get to the bottom of what she did see out here. I remember the first year I came here, and back in 66. She was beginning her senior year at a college, and, you know, she was always in such control of herself and I recall her being exceedingly bright. It's exactly right. But she was suckered in by her sweet-talking husband. You know, the little rich kid, mumbled Weissman as he was still resentful of Jamie's power over Mata. And I thought you and Jamie were best friends. We are. We were. We were. We are. I'm just not happy about what he's done to her over the years. But that's all academic now. Let's get inside. It's a little too cold out here for my bones. Marta was half awake, lying on the sofa with her head propped up by pillows. The drug was taking its full effect, and her mind was not very alert. She didn't even realize that the Reverend had arrived, and he was hovering over her. It wasn't difficult, even under these conditions, to remember the twinkling green eyes and long sideburns of the Reverend. Oh, Reverend McAllister. Nice to see you, she said slowly, her eyelids extremely heavy. Marta, he said as he knelt down and held her hand. I understand you had a trying night. 
If Lucy, my husband, is trying, then I had a trying night, she said with a whimper, looking as if she was going to fall asleep at any second due to the drug. I'm sorry if there's anything I can do to help you. Help me find him, Reverend. Dead or alive, find him, and then I can rest, she said as her eyes began to roll. Well, I'll talk to Hastings first thing in the morning, he told her, and her eyes came back to normal. I thought he was coming right down here, she said. He was here, said Weissman, his lips curled in frustration. He's gone back to bed. What did he say? She demanded as she fought to stay awake. She kept looking into the blazing fire as she mumbled. It's getting warm in here. Warm. I'll take off the extra blanket, said Weissman as she closed her eyes. Hastings was Marta. Are you listening? She's sleeping, Bernie, said his neighbor, an older woman who lived in back of the house on the first floor. Yeah, so she is, said Weissman. Just as well. Would have upset her if I told her about Hastings. Nat, Mrs. Carr, can I get you any coffee or any tea or anything like that? I have to be running along, Bernie. I don't mean to be a pest, but are you sure you didn't see anything out there tonight? No, I only heard the screaming, and then I saw you out front with her. Okay, thank you. Thanks for coming up here. I just hope this whole thing isn't some kind of hoax, said Weissman. So do I, Bernie, she said as she looked down at the sleeping Marta. She's probably just a little confused. Yeah, well, I hope that's it said Weissman as he walked over to the door. Thanks again. Anytime, Bernie, she called as she trotted back down the stairs. Weissman turned back to the hallway as she shut the door. Reverend McAllister came down the hallway with a dubious look on his face. Suppose you'll be running out of here too. No, answered the Reverend. Where's that tea you were raving about? In all the confusion, Weissman had forgotten to call Myra's parents. He and McAllister talked in the tiny kitchen for close to two hours, mostly about Weissman's drinking problems. McAllister commended him for standing up to the pressure of the situation. Weissman had convinced himself that his spell of eight hours without a drink was the beginning of a new era for him. Even though Weissman had failed to call the DuPonts, they had been informed by a third party about what had happened that evening. Albert DuPont Marta's father jumped in the station wagon with his wife and son and sped toward Weissman's apartment. Weissman was on his third cup of tea, taking the kettle from the gas burner as DuPont stomped up the stairs and banged on the stairway doors. What kind of school committee we want in this town, Reverend? Now I take the view, said Weissman as the pounding continued. He set the kettle on the stove and rushed over to the door. Let me in! Oh God, it's DuPont said Weissman as he hit his forehead with his fingers. I said, uh, open up the door, Weissman. Weissman undid the chain and opened the deadbolt. Before he could even get the door fully open, the massive DuPont, dressed in his farmer's overalls and a down vest, burst into the hallway. His little wife and stocky son followed behind him like troops after the tank. Mr. DuPont, hey, Mr. DuPont, I'm sorry, apologized Weissman. You're sorry? Where is my daughter? She's asleep on the sofa. And my grandchildren? Asked his wife with stark white hair. They're in the bedroom. They're all sleeping. Fine friend you are to them, interrupted DuPont as they gazed into the bedroom. 
all of this happens and you don't even have the respectability to place a phone call to me. Well, things were confusing and I... Ah! shouted DuPont, waving his hand through the air. Benjamin, go get the children with your mother. I'll get Marta. Where did you say she was sleeping? On the living room sofa. You know, he said, pointing his finger at Weissman. If you weren't so heavy on the goddamn boots, he said, pointing his finger at Weissman. Jesus. He stepped forward and caught sight of the Reverend. Oh, my God, Reverend, I didn't see you standing there. And would you have spoken differently to Mr. Weissman if you had seen him? Frankly, Mr. DuPont, Bernie has performed most admirably tonight. He was able to calm your daughter when she was hysterical. Well, I, uh, I, uh, yes, of course, I apologize, Mr. Weissman. If I could please get my daughter from the front room. Weissman's mouth hung open as he observed how Reverend McAllister's presence had transformed the angry man into a true believer. He looked at McAllister before he spoke. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, well, let me get the suitcases. DuPont moved his large frame down the hallway to the front room. He stopped for a few moments as he saw his daughter lying on the sofa. His mind became acutely aware of what she had been through in California, and he, like Hastings, was convinced that the incident outside the apartment was just another in a long line of things that were wrong with her. He could accept that now that she was back in St. Argus. She was his daughter, and he would take her back to his home. He walked over to the sofa and with one quick scoop lifted her up in his powerful arms. She had two Valiums. He was afraid they might try and give her something else on top of the Valium. She what? Asked DuPont. He quickly remembered the Reverend was still in the kitchen. I mean, well, just as well. Thank you, thank you. The chief was here earlier. I am very much aware of that, he said as he carried Martyr down the hallway. He is the one who called me. I am afraid my daughter has a lot of problems. But Jamie hasn't come back and look how late it is, argued Weissman. He'll be back. Jamie is an honest man and the best thing that ever happened to my daughter. Weissman rolled his eyes as he passed. All he could think of was that Jamie was the worst thing that ever had happened to Marta. Jamie didn't give a damn about her personal problems or her feelings. Under it all, he was still the little rich boy waiting for what served him best. I'm sure that Marta will be better in the morning, said Reverend McAllister. Yes, I'm sure she will, Reverend, and thank you, thank you for coming to help my daughter. McAllister had done virtually nothing, and he knew it. Any time, Mr. DuPont. They brought the suitcases down to DuPont's station wagon and set them on the floor. Marta was placed in the rear with her half-awake children, who quickly went back to sleep. DuPont started the car and pulled away, waving at them as he went down the church hill and back to his farmhouse in the northwestern part of town. Weissman turned to McAllister and put his hands on his hips. What do you have, some kind of magic charm on that guy? You mean I've converted you? Hardly. I only wish, said McAllister as he gazed at the lights of the station wagon as it crossed the square. I only wish that DuPont would act as pious and private as he does in public. Join us next time for My Other Face by Robert P. Fitton. Produced by Fitton Theatre of the Words.